You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and it's another smoky day in the beautiful Pacific Northwest and this is the Bose News Show and I'm your host Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and the Bose News Show comes to you every week so that you can talk to a real live county commissioner about you know what's going on here in Lane County or just in general how government functions and various issues in Oregon or even nationwide or world politics, anything's fair game because you can control the topic if you call into the show at 646-721-9887 and just press one because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show and not just listen through your telephone, which some people do sometimes. So again, it's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and uh, we'll get you on the air here, and you can control the topic on the Bose Nose Show. But as I mentioned, it's another smoky day here in in, uh, the Eugene Springfield greater metropolitan area that Elmira sits on the very edge of, and, um, you know, it's been just one of those summers but at least we're not as bad as we were last September and we're definitely not as bad as it's been down in Medford and Grants Pass and places in southern Oregon where it's been actually unhealthy we are just hitting the moderate range for air quality which is you know sensitive populations might have some problems Um, the usual young kids uh, folks with uh, breathing issues and asthma and seniors, you know, the usual, the usual list. But it brings up a topic because we have had multiple grass fires here around Eugene Springfield in Lane County um, over the last several days, just from people not understanding that we are in extreme fire danger right now. We haven't had rain for about 12 weeks, I think. Uh, it's been a long time and uh, everything's dry as a bone and it doesn't take much and activities you wouldn't think of as fire starting are have the capability because a lot of the fuels i.e vegetation out there is dry as a bone so pulling off the side of the road beyond the shoulder of the road into the grass and weeds can start a fire simply by having your catalytic converter touch the grass, um, which apparently might have been what happened along 30th Avenue um, last night, because that's it seems like the ignition points were along the edge of the shoulder. And then, you know, just, you know, mowing a lawn, the blade strikes a rock, simple way, you know, anything like that. Rototilling can start a fire. Uh, you know, weed whacking, there's all sorts of things that, w- that are, have possible ignition points. So just be careful with your local um, fire district or fire department about what the restrictions are on some of the outdoor use of power equipment. Uh, definitely, you know, as far as, you know, campfires and burning wood or anything that might put cinders up in the air, not allowed in most areas of Lane County and, and Oregon, most Oregon right now. Uh, unless you're right on the coastline, there's you know pretty heavy restrictions on open burning of anything other than bottled gas, you know, in a stove meant to do so. <laughs> and generally, I would do that in a gravel area or a paved lot. At this point, there's no use taking any risk, you know, having a maybe a grease fire from a hamburger 
jump out of a grill and into a lawn at this point. It is extremely dry. Yes, I was talking with somebody uh, from one of the Eastern Oregon counties at an Association of Oregon Counties meeting on Monday, and they have set records uh, for fuel, what they call the thousand hour fuel energy levels. Uh, as that's one of the ways they, they rank fire danger. And uh, theirs is at an all time high in their county. Uh, it's just all over the state. Uh, just be super careful with fire. Uh, you know, we had a fire last Friday over on I-5, closed down part of I-5 for a while. The one up beside 30th closed 30th Avenue for a while. So it causes a lot of other issues, traffic and everything else let alone if it gets away, it gets like the car fire down there in um, California and actually starts killing people and destroying homes and uh, pets and everything else, memory, cherished memories, you name it. Uh, we don't need to have that happening here in, in Lane County. So people, please be careful. This has been your regular end of summer public uh, information announcement from the Bose Nose Show. It's fire season again, folks. Be careful, and especially because these man-caused fires pull manpower away from being able to actually tackle some of the natural fires caused by lightning, and they're expecting thunderstorms in a lot of Oregon over the next three days. So there's going to be a lot of stress you know, because we already have so many fires going on and a lot of our firefighting resources are already committed. Um, and the best way to deal with these lightning caused fires is to jump right on them and get them out while they're small. And if we're pulling firefighting resources off to fight some idiot fire caused by some person that wasn't thinking about what time of day they're mowing their lawn or pulling off into dry grass with a hot catalytic converter under their car um it, it's just not good news so you know please for the sake of all the firefighters out there that do such hard work we don't need to stress them any further with with uh man caused fires so uh please be careful so i want to mention before we get too much further on the bow's nose show that i am going to um a conference that the Coastal Caucus, uh, which is the, of the Oregon State Legislature, which is all the, the state representatives and state senators that cover districts that have the Oregon coast in them, are holding uh, what's the, called the Coastal Economic Summit in Lincoln City next Wednesday and Thursday. And I am actually on a panel uh, in one of the sessions there. So it's kind of a, uh, a working time for me to be there and I'm there to talk about that issue I've talked about in the past on the Bose Nose show, third party um, contracting out of building permit review by cities and counties and also uh, uh, construction inspection of those permits by, you know, that contracting out of that by cities and counties that the state of Oregon was getting ready to uh, ban and kind of pulled back from the precipice and, and um, delayed implementing that ban because it would have caused all sorts of havoc in small cities to try and either find in-house staff or find a city to partner with to, to cover their um, permit review. But uh, we'll be talking about that. And there's a couple other things we'll be talking about at the summit uh, along with broadband um, expansion into, into the coast and rural areas, uh, and then also we're talking about marijuana a little bit, uh, which we'll get to later on here in the Bose Nose Show. But for that reason, there will not be a live Bose Nose Show next Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Instead, we will be repeating a previous show at this time, um, and we'll, we're kind of, Robin and I are discussing which ones to kind of pick. So if there's one you'd like us to replay, something that you missed and maybe want to rehear, you can let us know at the Bose Nose Show, uh, either by emailing us at talk at krbnradio.net, or you can just message us on Facebook, or uh, you can even call in right now and tell us what you'd like to hear next week, 646-721-9887. 
I'm leaning towards replaying the show that I did immediately after the Oregon Country Fair, where I was discussing some of the issues that came up during the Oregon Country Fair with uh, late night noise, uh, cellular service coverage, and traffic um, that occurred during the Oregon Country Fair. I know that was a heavily, uh, one of my most heavily listened to shows um, uh, by the statistics on our website. So that may be what we replay just also happens to be the one where the what were you thinking segment talked about um, Eugene uh, City Councilor Emily Semple's uh, suggestion that we distribute rat traps and rat birth control out to citizens to control the rat population rather than ban feeding of wildlife, um, certain kinds of wildlife and Eugene to try and control some of the rat problems. Uh, so those of you that maybe remember that conversation and found it humorous, it will be replayed probably next week unless somebody, a bunch of people call and say, now we'd rather hear, you know, some other show. So replay next week on the Bose News Show because I will be in Lincoln City, um, you know, gorging on saltwater taffy, uh, making the uh, epic swim to cross the D River. Uh, you know, because that's just, you know, one of the hardest crossings It compares to swimming from Alcatraz uh, to San, you know, San Francisco. Um, so that's where I'll be, you know, as I'm gorged on saltwater taffy, I'll try and swim across the D River and uh, attend the Coastal Economic Summit. And that's why you'll have a replay on the Bose Nose Show. Um, so getting on to some of the topics I had picked for the Bose Nose Show this week, unless you call in again, 646-721-9887. Um, one of them I wanted to talk about a little bit is pay equity. And the new bill that was passed um, last year in the um, <laughs> last year in the uh, I'm sorry, I'm giggling because my producer just sent me a note about um, the 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 what were you thinking and and said don't don't forget about the uh, state funding of abortion clinics for rats um, might be part of the the control birth control that we provide there in the city of Eugene to control the rat problem, <laughs> but but getting on to the pay equity issue, which is a kind of a serious issue because there was actually a, a house bill. Uh, number 2005 that was enacted in, in 2017, signed by the governor and all that good stuff, um, that requires several things of employers. So, you know, if you own a business, you need to pay attention to this. And if you're an employee of a business and you suspect that maybe your pay is not equal to some other people and it's because of reasons other than merit, seniority, and a, and a few other things that are um, allowable under this law, uh, you might want to pay attention a little bit here. But basically, it says that it's now unlawful in, to in any manner discriminate between employees on the basis of an employee's status as a member of a protected class, which is a reference to definitions that the federal government has for protected classes and, and the state has which is, uh, you know, there's various races, color, you know, religion, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, marital status, veteran status, disability, age. About the only people that aren't in a protected class are people like me, Caucasian males. <laughs> um, so we're not in a protected class. Almost everybody else is. Uh, so this applies to just about everybody that you can't discriminate between them just on that basis. And um, it's illegal to pay wages or compensation to any employee at a wage greater than that of which employer pays other um, compensation to employees of protected class or comparable character. To screen job applicants based on, on current or past compensation. This is the law that made it illegal to ask for people's salary history. Uh, you know, because, you know, I don't know about you, some small businesses don't exactly have the ability to do deep 
research into what a position might pay as they create a new position. So sometimes asking people, so what were you paid before is a way of figuring out what you're going to pay somebody now, but that's absolutely banned now under this law. Um, and seeking of a pay history of an applicant is now not legal. So there's some various things in here, but one of the interesting things is you're, you're allowed, it definitely allows separation of pay basis of a seniority system, a merit system, and, it, and, and difference has to be, you know, all of the difference has to be um, based on those factors. You know, the bona fide, what they refer to as bona fide factors like seniority, merit, um, uh, measures of earnings by quality or quantity of production, like piecework, uh, workplace locations, like you can have differential pay for maybe somebody that lives in Portland. And, I mean, works in Portland because the cost of living in Portland might be a little bit higher than it is in Klamath Falls. So there's, you know, one of the places you can have uh, workplace locations, if there's travel necessary, um, you know, if there's education, training, or experience that might separate the uh, employees, any combination of all of those. Um, but they have to; those factors have to account for the entire differential between people. So one of the things that concerns me is that sets up the ability for somebody to say, "Hey." Joe over there is making more than me. And yes, you know, he's been here a little bit longer and, you know, he might have a little bit better attendance record and, you know, be a little bit more productive. So, you know, there's merit base there and there's some seniority base. But I think that part of that is just because Joe's a white male and I'm a, um, you know, a female uh, person of color. And, and now the employer is in a position of having to defend and 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 justify possibly in a court of law that all of that pay differentials solely based on those factors that are considered bona fide. So you can imagine um, the headaches and the lawsuits that may stem from this law. Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting, but one of the things um, that will have will be interesting is that there is actually a you know you can actually provide um, businesses can actually kind of insulate themselves somewhat from um, those kind of claims if they do a equity pay equity study of themselves to make yeah and and show you know, through like a third party hire consultant to show that their pay is, and that can actually, you know, prevent claims and all that. Uh, so you can imagine this is going to make a, a certain consultant class kind of rich doing these studies for various employers. Of course, large employers are going to be the ones that probably pay to do those just to try and avoid uh, unnecessary um, legal actions or claims where they have to spend money um, going before uh, Bowley to try and defend that. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting uh, watching this uh, unfurl in the uh, in the in the workplace uh, over the next several months as it's become now the law and it's in force and uh, becomes it actually becomes effective January 1. It was the law was passed in 17. So by January 1st, these pay equity studies need to be done and and uh, everybody's got to make sure their compensation is based purely on reasons of of seniority, merit, job location, site, you know, travel, education, experience, whatever, and fully be able to justify that against claims of uh, pay inequity um, for protected classes. So it's going to get to be really interesting to see if this generates uh, lots of legal actions. And uh, you know, one of the things it does is it's going to drive up the cost of 
employing folks. Um, and as you drive up the cost of employing folks, that's either going to get passed on to the customer in the price of the goods that business produces, or it's going to be passed on to the employees through lower, you know, less increases and in lower wages in that business to make up for the cost of having to administer and, and protect the business from these claims. Um, you know, even a business that is completely clean and has always maintained pay equity, they still have to be able to document their system is, you know, in compliance to try and just, you know, insulate themselves from future claims. So there's going to be a cost of compliance to this, even to those that are already doing well and not creating um, pay, pay equity issues. So be prepared. You know, this is, you know, on top of um, sick leave mandates and uh, minimum wage increases and everything else uh, that's hitting employers right now. And, and I know that, you know, because of the tax cuts and other things in, in the world economy, things are going really well. Employment is really high, but this is the kind of thing that can place a drag slowly on an economy over time. All these little new regulations on employers that ultimately at some point could be the, you know, the, you know which one's going to be that straw on the camel's back that's going to, create the swing that's going to cause the downturn in the economy. And I, I know I, was, I talked earlier uh, on one of the Bose Nose shows about Brian Rooney, who's an economist with the state, predicts that sometime in, in, within about 24 months, we're going to be back into a recession um, as far as uh, the economy goes, a downturn. So, you know, what's going to be that triggering thing? Is it going to be, you know, another uh, real estate crisis where we kind of resolve some of that, some of the changes in the mortgage industry and the laws surrounding that? So there aren't these um, wire loans out there and, and uh, some of the high-risk mortgage, mortgage loan uh, activity that was going on. So, you know, who knows what the next tipping point is? You know, some people talk about it's going to be college college loans that drive the next um crisis that, that turns us into recession. Some people th make th might think it'd be a trade war. It could be something as simple as state governments throwing more and more um, regulations onto employers uh, and requiring more and more documentation to prevent legal actions for things like pay equity. I mean, I fully support the idea that, that you know, there shouldn't be discrimination in pay for any reason. But um, once you kind of enshrine some of this in law and establish the ability to um, take action as a as a employee to to against an employer, um, you're setting up a system that's going to make lawyers rich and consultants rich and employers poor. And when the employers get poor, it impacts employees and customers and shareholders to some extent too. If you think of it's a company that's publicly traded, it could also affect stock prices and dividends. So it's gonna be interesting how the Oregon Equal Pay Law rolls out over time um, as, it, as it stacks on top of a bunch of other mandates on employers that have been passed by the state of Oregon over the last several years. So are you an employer? Are you are you preparing for this equal pay law? Are you an employee who thinks maybe they might be um, the subject of discrimination under, you know, because of their um, protected class? Um, give us a call here at the Bozno Show, 646-721-9887. Just press one, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Um, you know, also, if there's something else you want to talk about that I'm not talking about on the Bose No Show, you can give me a call. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Um, kind of changing direction a little bit towards this uh, Coastal um, Caucus Economic Summit that I'll be going to. The 
you know, one of the topics there is that we're going to be talking about the building permit issue that came up with um, the Department of, of, of Building and Construction Services, I think is the name of the department, BC. Ah, I'm not quite sure what the, the, the name is, but it's a state department that oversees the, and, and um, accreditates the building permit departments for all cities and counties. We actually have to have approval from the state to have a building permit. Otherwise, it falls back to the state to issue building permits, uh, which was one of the things that some cities threatened to do was to just basically say, okay, state, take our program over, um, which I don't think the state's prepared to do. Um, but it just, it's one of those things where they got what's called a letter of advice. They asked for, and you know, this opinion from the, uh, the attorney general's, state attorney general's office or the department of, state department of justice. And they got a letter of advice that kind of said, well, we believe it might be an unconstitutional delegation of discretionary authority for cities and counties to contract with a third party private uh, sector entity to do their building permit review because there's you know, discretion in the decision-making process there, and that's an, an illegal and unconstitutional delegation of a function of the city. And, um, you know, one, I would argue there really is no discretion. Your, your application either meets the code or doesn't <laughs> meet the code. I'm not quite sure what the discretion is there, um, but it's just uh, one of those things, but it just was so heavy handed because the interesting thing is a letter of advice is just that. It's advice from their attorney about how they think the law might be interpreted by a court. It's not a court ruling, but the uh, head of that department treated it like it was a ruling from a court said, oh, we got to adhere to this and we got to do it immediately as fast as possible. You know, even though that system of third party building permit uh, review and approval and inspections have been in place in the state for years with no issues, um, they they were you know immediately reactive to this letter of advice, and uh, fortunately there was enough hue and cry and political pressure put on the state that they they pulled back from that precipice and they gave everybody another year to try and figure things out. But uh, that'll be one of the topics and one of the hot topics being discussed down there is how do we resolve this? Uh, if it does turn out that they, they think it's unconstitutional, what kind of collaboration and partnerships might we be able to put together to help some of these small cities like Dune City that may not get a permit, you know, one permit a month, let alone, you know, one permit every six months. How do you, you know, provide staff that is certified um, as a building code official and a electrical inspector and all that under the count under the city's um, employment on the kind of fees that would be collected on that low level of permit activity uh, in a city that only has one employee, one paid employee, because uh, it has no tax base. Uh, it's just ridiculous to try and expect that of Dune City. Even like the city of Florence, there's enough fluctuation and peak and valley in their permit system that contracting out uh, some of that review really allows them not to try and hire up for a peak and then they end up laying people off in a valley, um, allows them to use that third party for that those peaks and maintain a steadier level of employment uh, in the city ranks, and uh, and also it's difficult to hire building officials because there's only a small number of people in the state that are certified to review building permits. Uh, it's it's a very specialized piece of certification. So really um, impactful um, to those cities that use that third-party review. And it just turns out four of the cities in my district use that third party because they are small enough that they don't have the permit activity levels to justify keeping those um, 
high cost, um, hard to find employees on staff. Easier to, to go to a um, private consultant uh, type firm that consults with multiple cities so they can keep those staff on, on, on the books um, and it's a lot easier for them to do it. Um, that's uh, really kind of what, but um, it'll be interesting, interesting discussion. And I think one of the ways, you know, if we do end up having to go away from third party contracting of that, we're going to have to scramble to put together some coalitions of cities that maybe can work together. One of them hires those, that kind of staff and the other two or three um, contract with that city to do their permit review going to make inspections much more difficult sometimes in those cities about timing for inspections and you know the inspectors may only be available one day a week or one afternoon a week um, for certain kind of inspections so you may it may slow down the construction of housing which we've all talked about the housing crisis and the need for additional housing so things that slow it down you know, here we are adding cost to something that's already too costly because time is money. Um, is really something we need to be careful of uh, here in Oregon. So hopefully, you know, it'd be an interesting discussion. Maybe some ideas that come out, we'll get it resolved at the summit. Talk a little bit about broadband and high-speed data stuff. That'll be interesting. But the one thing that's going to be really interesting is marijuana because they actually have Billy Williams coming to the conference, who's the, um, the federal um, uh, attorney um, for the federal government here in uh, Oregon. And a lot of news, he's made a lot of news about, you know, the problems with Oregon's marijuana system and possible crackdown, uh, you know, because it's still federally illegal. Um, if we can't get our system under control. And there was actually a report issued on marijuana by the feds um, back on like, August 6th. And, um, and it's actually been updated a little bit on August 8th, I think. And an initial assessment of cannabis production, distribution, and consumption in Oregon 2018, an insight report, and it's by the Oregon-Idaho high-intensity drug trafficking area team did this um, report. And it basically looked at, um, you know, some of the impacts of marijuana on Oregon and all that. But one of the, you know, the, the most glaring things that came out of the report is the difference between Oregon's production levels of marijuana and its consumption levels. And they were able to um, do some estimating, you know, based on permitted grow sites and, and, and what they think might be growing, what people are actually growing, you know, are two different things. So they have a kind of a low end estimate and a high end estimate of how much is produced in this state. And then they also kind of know about how many users there are in the state based on surveys and um, what the sales are looking like out of the retail outlets, et cetera, and, you know, medical card holders, et cetera. Um, and they've got an estimate of consumption, in-state consumption of marijuana, a low end and a high end also, uh, based on some of those, those statistics. If you took the minimum production estimate and the maximum state consumption estimate, we're producing two and a half times the amount of barrel of, of cannabis than is consumed internally in the state. Roughly one million pounds of production in this state, and we're only consuming maybe about 400,000 pounds. Then you get to the, you know, if you looked at actually the, you know, if we 
go on the low end of consumption in the state and the high end of production, it's over 10 times the amount. You know, which is just, you know, pretty crazy. So somewhere, but so you can guess that, you know, statistics are pretty inaccurate, but no matter what, on the low end, it's over two and a half times production to consumption. And on the high end, it's 10 times. So if it's somewhere in, in, in the middle somewhere, five times production, where is that, where is the rest of that marijuana going? You know, it's really um, shows that there's quite a black market coming out of Oregon. And that's what um, the, the um, Billy Williams is really concerned about is the sales that are going outside of state. Somehow or another, Colorado's got balanced production with consumption. They managed to limit the, license, the production licenses through the state permitting system where Oregon did not. They figured that the, the market would generally balance after a while. What they didn't realize was it wouldn't balance because enough of it's being sold across state lines in the states that, that it's illegal. And um, that's really, you know, so there isn't an automatic balancing system so much because there's this this leakage out of the system into other states. And that's, that's where the feds are really concerned. Um, and, you know, and then of course, you know, that leads, you know, when there's a lot of black market, that leads to a lot of sales of underage folks from the black market side and uh, a high usage uh, in Oregon, uh, underage users here in Oregon. Um, and it's a particular issue with cannabis because um, we talked in the Bose Nose show in, in the past about the brain development doesn't complete till about age 25. And cannabis uh, THC, the active ingredient that gets you high, causes changes in brain pathways and is particularly bad as the brain's developing and causes the worst changes in young people. So you really don't want people under 25 using cannabis because it can cause permanent changes in brain structure and brain, brain pathways. Um, much better off to see if we can delay people. So when we have this huge black market of cannabis, it's impacting our youth. And these changes are not good changes in the brain. You know, they, they lead to a general apathy and lethargy um, uh, and, and uh, several other issues uh, which they've, they've documented uh, scientifically. So it's, it's not like I'm just saying this, and, and, but it, it's actually been documented through scientific study. Uh, so as we need to get control of this black market side, and it'll be you know, interesting, how do we do that? Do we start um, limiting or um, looking heavily into some of these, these these grow permit sites and kind of saying, okay, if we find a violation, we're going to yank your grow permit and try and see if we can slowly restrict the level of production in the state by kind of getting rid of the bad actors first? Uh, do we start a lottery system or something like that for permits? Um, or, you know, a bidding system for, you know, allocations of production, you know, and, and, and you know, kind of like they talk about buying um, carbon credits, you know, we set up a system to buy uh, credits or something. <laughs> if you want to grow so much pot, you have to buy so many and, you know, we open a, you know, have a, have a trading system kind of like a, a futures market and, you know, people have to buy and trade credits to, to be legal to grow a certain amount of pot, but, you know, there's a limited number in the system. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, has some, some value, but, you know, how, how do we get to the point where we can balance that production of consumption and, and production here in our state so we don't have the black market? I mean, that was the great promise of legalization. It was going to get rid of the black market. 
And it certainly hasn't done that when you have, you know, on on the low end, somewhere around 600,000 pounds a year going in the black market. And on the high end, somewhere around um, one and a half million pounds a year going in the black market. Maybe, maybe even more, closer, almost, almost two million pounds. Uh, that's just, you know, almost mind-boggling to think about how much of that's going in the black market. And, you know, that leads to all sorts of other issues because, uh, you know, when you're dealing with something, you know, selling it through an illegal black market tends to get into gang-controlled activities and. Uh, other things come along with that, um, with the gangs that run it. Uh, it's just not not good things happen. And uh, so it'd be interesting to watch how that industry matures in Oregon in general with the overproduction going on right now and the prices falling so far. I think a lot of people got into the marijuana market here in Oregon with the thought that they were going to get rich quick on it. And suddenly they can they they got no place to sell. I mean the producers, if they don't also own a retail outlet somewhere, don't have a lot of places they can get rid of their pot. Which is creating another issue here in Oregon. And part of the report noted um, the number of illegal um, extracting facilities that were found in Oregon where and a lot of that extracting is done through very dangerous processes using butane um, liquid butane to um, extract the THC and, con- and then evaporating that off to concentrate it where they can get down to something called glass which is over 90 percent THC uh, and is actually um, so strong it causes hallucinations and uh, can actually cause people to have psychotic events uh, by consuming it. But it, you know, obviously if you're using butane, it's flammable. And we've had multiple, over 80 people uh, since legalization started end up in the burn unit at OHSU uh, since then specifically from accidents involving concentrating marijuana. So this black market pot, you know, it's kind of bulky and hard to get across state lines. Smells really good to dogs. You know, that it's easy to, easy detectable by the drug dogs because um, it has such a high odor. Uh, so if you concentrate it, though, into this, you know, these co- either liquid concentrates or this glass they make out of it, um, that's a lot smaller and you don't have to um, move a lo- as large a package across the state line and into a, an area um, to sell for consumption illegally in states where it is illegal. Um, so that's what's driving the, the, the garage and um, you know backyard shed uh, laboratories to do this concentration work and, and um, really dangerous for the public and particularly sometimes it's happening in multi-family unit apartment buildings um, and that, that can be really dangerous because those the flammable liquids and gases involved in the uh, extraction process are usually heavier than air so they will seek the lowest point so if some idiot's doing it up on the second or third floor of an apartment uh, unit and some poor sap in the basement decides he's going to light his stove, um, you know, he may end up being the one that actually causes the explosion and get injured versus the, the guys up on the third floor that are doing the illegal extraction. So um, it's a public safety issue to a certain degree, too. So really, how do, how do we tackle that? How do we balance Oregon's pot production with its consumption? So one of those ways is maybe we can get people to start producing industrial hemp instead. 
because there actually is a pretty good market for industrial hemp um, and it's legal, federally legal. So, um, but then there gets to be issues about the ability for time, place, and manner production of industrial hemp hasn't been well established and it has some of the same odor problems as, as pot. Um, it can actually cause problems for pot growers because um, uh, it can cross-pollinate. So it, it's an interesting issue. You, know, you have an idea of how to limit pot production in Oregon? Give us a call on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to join in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show as we're getting into our last 15 minutes or so of the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. If you want to talk about pot production, you want to talk about pay equity, building permits, um, fire weather, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I want to... Are you jumping in here, Robin? I thought I heard your mic click. Well, I, I have an idea on how to... Uh, uh, um, um, Consumption. Let's go back. Go back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, take it down to Salem and uh, drop it off at the Capitol. Maybe they'll be so stoned they won't be able to uh, affect the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there is that. You know, right now the issue is um, trying to to lower production to match consumption. Maybe we just uh, we get all the legislators to start using more. Um, then maybe consumption will come up to production levels. Yeah. Not that I'm encouraging people to go out and use marijuana. Um, yeah. or, or maybe it's too late, and that's why they're coming up with stupid ideas. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of what, yeah, this is kind of one of those, uh, you can almost do a what were you they thinking segment about um, marijuana production in Oregon, because they just definitely let the the cat out of the bag completely unrestricted on the production side um it's actually more difficult in some ways to open up a place to sell it although what's pretty funny is they've got some maps in this in this report where they you know kind of did the the green dots for um places that sell pot and blue dots for places that sell groceries um just to kind of show the distribution. And there's, there's, it's easier to find a place to buy pot in Northeast Portland than it is to find a grocery store. You know, they talk about food deserts where you can't get produce or good food because there's no grocery stores. There's no pot deserts in Portland, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, we got it covered. Yeah, there's a great distribution of those green dots um, all over the uh, that northeast Portland area, but there's not quite as many blue dots. So it's easier to go out and buy a bag of weed in Portland than it is to go out and buy a bag of groceries. Yeah, that or they can just embrace the sales, and there there's your cure for schools, roads, everything else you can think of. You just take the more. Yeah, not really, because <laughs> you know they they. You know, that was the big selling point. Oh, once we legalize it and start taxing it, governments will be flush with money and all that stuff. Well, the amount of receipts from the pot taxes, both state and local pot taxes, has been a drop in the bucket compared to the actual cost of government. You know, we we here in Lane County have received... Um, I think it's $18,000 so far in pot taxes. We have a $600 million budget. <laughs> City of Eugene's doing a bit better. They have a whole lot more retail outlets inside there. They got over 200000 but yeah. they also have about a $600 million budget. So 200000 is not a significant increase in, in their budget. And, and the schools aren't really getting that much. I mean, the school budgets across Oregon 
are in the billions of dollars is what schools cost us. And, and they're, you know, 60 million or so in pot taxes. It's just not, not making a dent. Well, what did they do regarding the, where it was illegal for somebody to deposit the money that was earned? There's still issues with that. It's still a cash business. So if you are paying your taxes with cash, wouldn't the government who's receiving the cash also be party to whatever felony laws if they decide to crack down on it? Um, well, that's kind of where the the whole um, issue with the federal, um, you know, federal attorney general for Oregon, um, the state, uh, you know, that that's. Uh, that I, I think that's, I'm not quite sure if that's the correct term for what um, Billy Williams' title is, um, but it's, you know, they kind of looked the other way under the Obama administration. They basically said, you know, you know we're okay with states running this as long as they keep it in, how, in state. And the Trump administration kind of pulled back on those rules. So it's going to be interesting to see about that. Now, none of the cities um, collect those taxes. They're all coming to the state right now. They're the only ones set up to handle taking the cash. So that, that it all comes to the state and they're distributing it back to the cities. So at least if only one that's really going to get in trouble for taking the receipts of a federally illegal product is the state. Well, that'd be an interesting headline. Yeah. Well, they're already in deep doo-doo with, with the feds just because of this whole report that's showing so much of it's going out of state. Yeah. It, it, you know, there's also a couple other things in here. It's just talking about the impacts of the production. Um, it takes, um, you know, a lot of water to grow cannabis. Um, it actually you know, because of the grow lights and all that is a large producer of CO2. Um, you know, at, at, at large energy user. Has there so, been talk yet to change the state flower? <laughs> um, no, but, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, you can't get away from that damn um, seven leaf cluster uh, anywhere that symbol is all over billboards, buildings. Uh, you know, if you, the Eugene Weekly is almost cover to cover with green crosses and seven leaf um, symbols of all the places advertising sales. Um, yeah, so you, you wonder if that little seven leaf symbol uh, ought to become the new state uh, logo or something. You know, just just like the border collie becoming the state dog, which I think that was up for a challenge. It'd be interesting if somebody actually proposed that. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It is kind of a you know really um, change our our state flag from blue to green. Yeah. Maybe just you know maybe have it white with a green cross. You know, <laughs> or you know. It, the the, uh, the ads for Oregon. <laughs> hey, man, come on down to Oregon. We know how to party. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's all, yeah. What, it cracks me up having grown up in the era of Cheech and Chong. Um, <laughs> and I forget them. Dropping that van made out of pressed pot from Mexico into the U.S. and then the tailpipe starts starts it on fire and the motorcycle cop is pulling it, coming up behind him to pull him over. And when he stops, <laughs> all he wants is to share their food. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite part of that movie is, hey man, how's my driving? I think I parked, man. <laughs> I was on to play a cop on some show, so. <laughs> yeah. He actually became a pretty good 
actor. He's played a lot of parts in a lot of movies. Cheech yeah. Marin. Yeah. So see, folks, we'll talk about anything. You know, when Jay says that, he's not kidding. Oh, no, I'm not kidding at all. Like I said, if you guys don't call in with the topic, and there's a few minutes left in the show, so you can still call in at 646-721-9887. I'll talk about just about anything. And it's kind of funny. Um, I was listening to my favorite radio show, The Wake Up Call, this morning, and they were doing a contest, and I never heard if anyone guessed it correctly, but they were playing a clip from four different movies, just the audio, that were all made in Oregon. And people were supposed to guess all four. And, um, you know, I know Bill London, so I texted him what I thought three of the answers were. I couldn't get the fourth one, and I was right on three out of four. Um, so want to talk movies and stuff like that. Sometimes I'm pretty good at that. I mean, I keep all the names straight and all that, but I, 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 I've been around a while, so I've watched a few. And it was kind of interesting. You know, the first clip uh, was from uh, – Stand by me. Uh, it was easily recognizable for me, and uh, it was you know the kid. It was the you know the kids talking about the you know hearing somebody's name on the radio, which was related to quote the body that they all went to hike off to see um, during that led to the whole uh, famous railroad bridge incident uh, and the leeches. <laughs> Speaking of, isn't there a, uh, I'm doing a quick search, a <clears throat> famous Togo party coming up? Yeah, there is. Uh, this Saturday in Cottage Grove, which, you know, that was, you know, that was kind of what brought the whole thing up. It was about there's a film festival in Cottage Grove, and they were going to give out free tickets to the film festival to anyone that could guess all four films. Um, you know, the other two of which that I recognized were um, – the postman and uh, kindergarten cop. <laughs> but the the third one, the second one in the in the thing was a waitress talking about uh, what, a, what a number two or three was on the menu, and I thought that might be from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, when they were when they did their jaunt down to the to go fishing in Newport. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess in um, Dexter Lake Club, where part of Animal House is filmed, I think there's an event coming up. I don't have the information in front of me, but I think there's an event coming up there pretty soon. Yeah. No, but Saturday are trying to set the world's largest toga party event down in Cottage Grove. And I think, uh, you know, if you Google Animal House 40th anniversary toga party Cottage Grove or something, you'll find it um, pretty easily. Um I think the Cottage Grove Chamber of Commerce down there is sponsoring it and uh, should be a fun event. I wish I could go. Unfortunately, I can't. I had it on my calendar and then I got, you know, other commitments and all that stuff. You know, this, this commissioner stuff sometimes gets in the way of having fun. <laughs> yeah. And besides that, I don't know if we want to see you in a sheet. Um, you know, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not in too bad a shape. Um, most people don't think I'm 60 years old. No, yeah. Jake's actually doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, quick quick reminder to folks, Jay, about next week. Next week is going to be a pre-recorded show because I am going to be out of town at this Coastal Economic Conference. Um, so. Don't be looking for me there, but if you want to get down to the 40th annual Animal House, re, you know, 40th Union and Toga Party, um, to downtown Cottage Grove, they're going to actually have a parade reenactment at noon with floats and everything, and I think they're even going to have the uh, uh, the death mobile there. They're having the Toga Party. So get on down there and toga. Have a great week. And I thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. Stay safe with fire. Get down to Cottage Grove and enjoy the, the Animal House reunion. And we'll talk to you in two weeks live here on the Bo's Nose Show from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>